2: See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.
3: CBS News Special Report. Congratulations, Mr. President. The inauguration of Joseph R. Biden, Jr. Four years ago, the theme was Make America Great Again.
4: America will start winning again, winning like never before.
3: Today, it's America United, as Joe Biden and Kamala Harris hope to rally the country together.
4: I believe at our
5: best. America's a beacon for the globe. We will lead not only by the example
0: of our power, but by the power of our example.
3: From CBS News, here's correspondent Stephen Portnoy.
0: It's a tradition as old as our republic. The swearing in of a new president occasions the renewal of the American government, the heralding of the start of a new era as power peacefully transfers from one administration to the next. It goes without saying that this occasion this morning is unlike any other. COVID already casting a pall over the inauguration, necessitating a limited crowd. But the deadly, seditious January 6th riot at the Capitol and ongoing threats have led to security restrictions heretofore unseen. President Donald Trump, whose term runs out in 59 minutes, has landed in Florida, having left Washington this morning with a military send-off at Joint Base Andrews. Mr. Trump, as you know, becomes the first president in 152 years, not to grace an inauguration with his presence. CBS's Steve Dorsey's live at the Capitol, where a limited number of guests have gathered and dignitaries continue to arrive. Steve? Yeah, good morning, Stephen. We are uh, awaiting the vice president
6: to enter the West Front and witness this transfer of power on a cold, damp morning here at the Capitol as the sun tries to break through parting clouds. This inauguration, as you said, is unlike any we've seen. Roads around Capitol Hill, the Supreme Court, National Mall, and White House are shut down within unprecedented security presence that's all because of concerns about threats to the inauguration following that siege here two weeks ago where thousands of protesters and rioters swarmed onto the temporary risers and platforms built on the west front for today's events you can still see in fact the effects of those riots with shattered windows still awaiting repairs and on the national mall instead of Thousands of spectators. It's 200,000 miniature flags representing the people from all 50 states, the District of Columbia, and five permanently inhabited U.S. territories who can't be here because of their security and coronavirus restrictions. Miles of fencing topped with razor wire now surround the Capitol building. 25,000 National Guard troops are patrolling the vehicle checkpoints, along with police security and COVID screening. Ladies and gentlemen,
7: screenings. the Vice President of the United States. The Man, Honorable Michael R. Pence and Mrs. Karen Pence. There's the announcement for
0: the, incoming, sorry, the outgoing vice president, arm-in-arm arm with his wife Karen Pence, the current second lady, walking down the carpeted steps on the same platform as Steve Dorsey reports. the scene of the seditious riot overtaken by a mob two weeks ago. Now it is very much the setting for the peaceful transfer of power. Mike Pence, the only representative of the outgoing administration, on hand to see it he was keen to do it and the president-elect joe biden said he was happy to have mike pence there joseph robinette biden jr age 78 went to church this morning the first catholic president since john f kennedy attended mass at saint matthew's cathedral less than a mile north of the white house you may remember that john f kennedy's funeral service was held at that church congressional leaders of both parties were there with mr biden for the service Aides to the new president say in his address, Mr. Biden will reflect on the need to bring the country together during an unprecedented moment of crisis. Aides also tell us the new president will spend his first afternoon in the Oval Office signing 17 orders aimed at reversing some of his predecessor's signature policies. A busy day is ahead for the new president. It's also a historic day for the new vice president. Kamala Harris and CBS's Allison Keys is live with us for more on that. Allison?
1: It is a historic day for the Vice President to be Kamala Harris in many ways. Not only is she being sworn in as the first female, but the first Black and South Asian woman to be the Vice President. That's just a heartbeat away from leading the nation. Harris herself has said that she might be the first woman to hold the job, but she won't be the last. And that is a message that has been heard by children around this nation and around the world. Interestingly, she is being sworn in by Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor. She is the nation's first Latina Supreme Court Justice. And Harris will be using two Bibles. One belongs to Thurgood Marshall. He was a civil rights icon and the first black justice on the court. Harris has called him one of her heroes and says that he inspired her career. A second Bible will also be used for the ceremony, that one belonging to Regina Shelton. That was a neighbor who was like a second mother to Harris and her sister as they were growing up. The thing about that mob is it robbed a lot of people who probably would have come to D.C. to see this in the way Tens of thousands came to see President Obama become the nation's first black president. This has been very important to the black community. It's been very important to the Asian community because they say their daughters can now look at the soon-to-be vice president and think, there I could be. Stephen?
0: Allison Key is reporting on the historic moment for the new vice president, Kamala Harris. You're hearing the Marine Band at the west front of the Capitol play Hail Columbia, traditional song. That is played in honor of the vice president, and you'll hear it again in about a half hour's time as Kamala Harris takes the oath of office to become the new vice president of the United States. The outgoing president wished his successor well this morning in his remarks at Joint Base Andrews after he left the White House for the final time.
4: I wish the new administration great luck and great success. I think they'll have great success. They have the foundation to do something really spectacular. And again, we put it in a position like it's never been before, despite the worst plague to hit since, I guess you'd say 1917, over 100 years ago. And despite that, despite that, the things that we've done have been just incredible. And I couldn't have done it without you. So just a goodbye. We love you. We will be back in some form.
0: That's the word of the outgoing president, Donald Trump, who, as we mentioned, has landed in Florida in the final hour of his presidency. He's not at the Capitol for the swearing-in, but we're told he kept one tradition. He left his successor a note in the Oval Office. We don't know what it said. Let's bring in CBS News political analyst Leonard Steinhorn and our contributor Peter Mayer. Lenny, the incoming president is expected to leap right into solving what he sees as the crises the nation faces. Your thoughts on the state of the republic in this moment of crisis.
8: Well, crisis is the operative word here. We face crises in so many areas of our country. We have a public health crisis of the once-in-a-century pandemic. More than 400,000 dead approaching the size of Oakland, California, the number of people dead, and more sadly to come. Hospitals are overflowing. Doctors and nurses and first responders are stressed. Other procedures for people needing their health care address delayed. But on top of that, there's an economic crisis, business bankruptcies, a cratered hospitality industry of restaurants and hotels, millions unemployed and struggling to put food on the table and a roof over their head. We also face an environmental crisis which Joe Biden has vowed to address. Our planet is warming at a record rate with consequences that will be very real for future generations. Internationally, we've seen a complete loss of confidence in the leadership of the United States. But overriding all of this is a crisis in our democracy, symbolized by the assault on the Capitol two weeks ago. But it's much more than that. You have large swaths of Americans who refuse to accept the results of a fair, free, and secure election. You have media outlets followed by millions spewing out mistruths and lies. You have trust in government, institutions, the press at historic lows. We have large numbers of Americans refusing to accept the facts and evidence that good journalism reports add all of this together and joe biden enters a presidency at a moment of crisis that in recent history can be compared only to the 1960s and to 1933 when franklin roosevelt took the office oath of office amid the great depression
0: i will note the headline in this morning's new york times it reads it's the dawn of an era the nation is exhausted that's the editorial take of the uh people who lay out the front page of the New York Times this morning. We're watching uh, inside the Capitol in the crypt. The new vice president of the United States, Kamala Harris, is on the arm of her husband, Doug Emhoff, set to become the second gentleman of the United States. And you can hear the footsteps as they come down the hallway on their way out to the west front of the Capitol. Peter Mayer, our veteran of the White House beat, who's covered every inaugural since Jimmy Carter's.
9: How tall is the task for the new team as it calls for unity? Well, as we listen to these uh, footsteps of uh, Doug Emhoff and our soon-to-be Vice President Kamala Harris uh, heading on to what uh, President George H.W. Bush called democracy's porch, uh, I'd say, Stephen, it is not a stretch. Not a stretch at all to say that no president since Lincoln in 1865 has faced the challenge of trying to unite a a divided country, uh, facing the pandemic, rocky economic issues, and uh, the harsh political divisions. Uh, Joe Biden, as we've stressed already, has said his goal is unity. Ladies and gentlemen,
7: accompanying the vice president-elect, the chief of inaugural ceremonies, Maria Miller Lohmeyer, the acting deputy house sergeant-at-arms, Kevin Grubbs, and the Acting Deputy Senate Sergeant-at-Arms, United States Capitol Police Officer, Private First Class, Eugene O. Goodman. Eugene O. Goodman. You remember that name. He was the
0: police officer who steered some of the rioters away from the senate chamber two weeks ago today steve dorsey's on capitol hill described the scene as officer goodman is receiving a hero's welcome yeah
6: absolutely people uh, have risen to their feet to pay tribute to this hero where just two weeks ago he stared down and led rioters away from uh, key parts of the senate steve
0: the marine band the herald trumpets Heralding the arrival of the woman who is about to become the first female vice president of the United States
7: Ladies and gentlemen the vice president-elect of the United States Kamala Debbie Harris and mr. Douglas Imhoff
0: 56 year old Kamala Harris from Oakland, California a daughter of Jamaican and Indian immigrants who spent four years in the Senate six years as California's Attorney General waving to the crowd along with her husband, Doug Emhoff. Emhoff, by the way, intends to keep his job as a law professor at Georgetown University Law School in Washington. The new second family continues walking down the carpeted steps, waving to the dignitaries who are on hand. Kamala Harris says she intends to be a partner to the president in the same way that Mr. Biden was for Barack Obama. There's Kamala Harris giving a, an elbow bump and to uh, friends and a fist bump to former President Barack Obama and Mrs. Obama. Kamala Harris will be the first Madam Vice President. Doug Emhoff will become the first second gentleman. There's an oddity about today, a side effect of one president flying to Florida while another prepares to take the oath of office in Washington. The Pentagon has prepared two nuclear footballs. One is actually with Mr. Trump right now in West Palm Beach, containing nuclear codes that expire at noon. And another military aide is standing by at the Capitol to join the president-elect's entourage starting at noon Eastern time in Washington. Last night, as you may know, the outgoing president, took a number of actions in his final hours in office. He pardoned his top aide. Steve Bannon was accused of bilking donors to fund uh, the border wall in an effort there. Uh, He was accused of fraud, but now Steve Bannon will not stand trial for that. Uh, More than 100 other people received last minute pardons and computations. Mr. Trump also reversed a major portion of his pledge to drain the swamp four years ago. You remember that. Well, last night, he revoked an executive order that had banned members of his staff from lobbying the federal government for five years after leaving government service. That Drain the Swamp pledge has been reversed. This is, of course, not Donald Trump's day. It's Joe Biden's day. It's Kamala Harris's day. It's America's day. But inasmuch as today marks the beginning of a new era, it also marks the end of another. The outgoing president said in his farewell remarks that he did what he came to Washington to do. He left it all on the field. Foreign policy is one area where the 45th president sought to make bold change. Mr. Trump's record is mixed. Joe Biden is intent on reversing much of it. Today, we expect Mr. Biden to resume the U.S.'s involvement in the Paris Climate Accord and the World Health Organization. And at a certain point, we're told you can expect a re entry of the United States into the Iran nuclear deal. It's not clear how fast Mr. Biden will reverse the Trump tariffs on imported goods from China. Critics say the trade war the president sparked didn't get much done in the way of concessions from Beijing and only cost American consumers. But the USMCA trade deal that replaced NAFTA has generally been agreed upon by both parties and key stakeholders, unions in particular, as a success on the president's part. On the economy, the Trump era tax reforms allowed corporations and wage earners to keep more of their own money. Stock indexes were up more than 50 percent over the past four years. Prior to the pandemic, the first three years of the Trump administration saw average annual GDP growth on pace with Barack Obama's second term. And by 2019, poverty in this country was at an all-time low. One year ago, unemployment was at its lowest point in 50 years. But under Donald Trump, America found itself unable to keep the coronavirus under control. That's led to the deaths of more than 400,000 Americans, wide-scale unemployment, and reduced consumer
7: confidence. Staff Representative Alexandria Gordekin DiCicco. Accompanying the House You're Republican hearing the announcement there about
0: McCarthy, uh, some of the uh, leaders of the Congress Bridget who are coming Brennan, out. Remember, this inaugural ceremony leader, is actually put on Porter, by Congress and,
9: and the Joint Congressional Committee Kate on Cleanson, Inaugural
0: Ceremonies. So of the, House of Representatives, uh, the dignitaries the from Capitol Hill Pelosi. are being led onto the staff platform, including uh, the House the and Senate leadership. Lord, leadership. Let's listen
7: in. And Mr. John Bessler. Staff Representative Stephanie hager Mucko, accompanying Senate Majority Leader the Honorable Mitch McConnell and the Honorable Elaine L. Chow. And Staff Representative Rochelle graves
2: accompanying the chairman
0: of
7: the An element of
0: the uh, joint ceremonies being put on for the new president and vice president. We see Joe Biden and Dr. Jill Biden future first lady in just about 45 minutes, walking through the crypt of the Capitol on their way out to the West Front. You would expect a rather loud roar from the crowd and not certainly not as large as uh, normally would occur for an inauguration because of COVID and, of course, the ongoing threats. Steve Dorsey has described the field of flags that the new president will uh, stand in front of. Steve, uh, if you're with us, if you could do uh, one more depiction of what the new president will see as he stands on the West Front platform. Well, he
6: won't see the thousands of spectators, uh, as you mentioned, on the National Mall, that uh, greeted President Trump and uh, former President Obama. Uh, It's a very different situation here. It's beginning to uh, flurry just a bit in this cold January morning, not as cold as it has been uh, for previous inaugurations. But uh, it's also a scene that is uh, significant of the times. You can see the uh, miles of fencing and barricades spread out through the West Front And, of course, everyone here is wearing masks amid this uh, coronavirus concern, Stephen.
0: Well, that certainly was not the case earlier this morning at Joint Base Andrews. There were very few people wearing masks as the outgoing president had his farewell ceremony and gave remarks there. On the domestic front, as one of his first acts, Donald Trump employed his powers to bar visitors from certain majority Muslim countries. That action sparked chaos and protests. Ultimately, it was upheld by the Supreme Court. That's another Trump action that Joe Biden is expected to reverse in just a matter of hours. Members of the Supreme Court appointed by Donald Trump are on the West Front of the Capitol. The three conservative justices, Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, and Amy Coney Barrett, are on hand to watch this transfer of power from the Trump administration to the Biden administration. There are many actions that we expect Joe Biden to act as early as this afternoon to reverse. And the new president-elect and the new first lady are expected to walk onto the west front of the platform in just a matter of moments. Stay with us as we continue our CBS News live coverage of the inauguration of President Joe Biden from CBS News.
3: CBS News special report, the inauguration of Joseph R. Biden, Jr., From CBS News, here's correspondent Stephen Portnoy.
0: The president-elect who becomes the 46th president of the United States 40 minutes from now has taken his position on the west front of the Capitol along with his wife, Dr. Jill Biden, who's set to become the nation's next first lady. The 78-year-old son of Scranton who has spent a half-century in public life, 36 years in the Senate, 8 years as vice president, takes the oath of office later this hour as he's set to preside over a transition of power marked every four years in this inauguration, now taking part on the west front of the Capitol. We're joined by two former members of the House from New York now. One is a Democrat, the other is a Republican, and together they form a coalition of thought leaders who've been on both sides of the aisle to form what they're calling the Campaign for the Future of Democracy. Profound stuff these days. Democrat Steve Israel, Republican Susan Malinari, thank you both for being with us. Mr. Israel, let me start with you, because you served in Congress from just before 9-11 to just before the start of the presidency of Donald Trump, a uniquely important span of time to consider as we assess the current health of our American democracy. And, Mr. Israel, you say you're concerned about a rise of authoritarianism in America, especially after what we saw two weeks ago at the Capitol. What's your take on the way this transfer of power is playing out today?
10: Well, it was a long and bumpy and uh, sadly violent uh, road to get here, Uh, but what we have is a reaffirmation that democracy works, Um, and it is a hopeful day, Um, but we cannot disregard the fact that there are so many Americans watching these ceremonies who still believe wrongly that uh, Donald Trump won the election, that the election was rigged who respond to conspiracy theories and who have no faith in democracy and democratic norms, but think they do. And so this should not be just about inaugurating a president. This needs to be about making sure that democracy is working for people, that people support the norms of democracy, and rebuilding a resilience so that when an authoritarian messenger or message comes along, People reject it rather than accepting it and storming the Capitol building of the United States of America.
0: Steve, Israel is a former Democratic congressman from New York. Susan Molinari is a former Republican congressman, who, congresswoman who served in the House during the presidency of Bill Clinton. In fact, Ms. Molinari, you were vice chair of the Republican conference when Newt Gingrich was speaker of the House. What responsibility do you believe that leaders in your party have to take to strengthen faith in our American system of government?
11: Well, first of all, I think we have to take the message that Steve Israel just talked about and take it out to the rest of our party throughout the United States. Um, You know, we see that it was a CBS News poll that was done recently that said over 50 percent of Republicans still believe that Joe Biden is an illegitimate president. I think the the elected leaders and the political leaders of the Republican Party need to put that argument aside and need to convince all Americans that Joe Biden is a president for all Americans and got here legitimately. I mean, I think it goes to the point of what Steve was talking about with regard to resiliency. People need to know that when secretaries of state, when lieutenant governors, when governors in key states who are Republicans and were supporters of the president Say this was an election that was done fairly in Pennsylvania, in Georgia, in Arizona, but that's the end of the discussion and we move on in a democratic and peaceful way. That clearly has not been um, what our recent history has shown. So that's why Steve and I are joining together to make sure that we can I shore up this democracy. I never thought I would say that, But I think the last few months have shown us that democracy is not something we can take for granted. And we need to constantly reinvigorate it with ideas and dedication to what this country is all about.
0: Susan Molinari mentioned our CBS News poll, which this week shows a disturbing finding, 63% of Trump voters have an unfavorable view of Biden voters, and 79% of Biden voters say the same about Trump voters, and most of the people in our survey, 54%, say the biggest threat to America's way of life is their fellow Americans. Steve Israel, let me ask you this, Democrats lost ground in the House this year, the Senate majority they're about to enjoy is hanging by a thread. What is your message as a former member of Congress to maybe the younger progressives in your party? Do you think they have a responsibility to heal the divide?
10: We all have a responsibility, Stephen, to heal the divide, Um, and my message uh, for folks who agree or disagree with Joe Biden or agreed or disagreed with Donald Trump is we've got to now focus not on past grievances, but how does this country heal at one of the most critical and challenging times in its history? We're not going to be able to Uh, deal with COVID if we continue to be divided. We're not going to be able to rebuild the economy for the middle class if we continue to be divided. We're not going to be able to restore our environment and heal those divisions if we continue to take shots at one another. Uh, And so we all, I I think the, the, the real problem we have in the country right now is not just that we're divided, but that each half believes that they are absolutely correct and that there is no room for a dissenting view. We need to make room for each other's reasonable and responsible views uh, and come to some agreements that will cure these challenges and move the country forward so that that next generation, that young generation of progressives have a country worth leading.
0: Susan Molinari, your message to Republican moderates. uh, What what, uh, chance do they have now with uh, Donald Trump uh, perhaps still angry with them for siding against him on impeachment?
11: Stephen, this is a big conversation that Republicans are having throughout this country, myself included, where do we go? You know, I think hopefully we all stay put for a while and and help people like Senator Romney or um, Congresswoman Liz Cheney, um, those who are able to speak out. But I think time will tell whether moderate Republicans or Republicans who are conservative, but just believe in facts, um, will stay within the Republican party. Will this be the party of Trump or does this all go? It's a bad nightmare. I don't know. And I think we all just have to sort of, you know, take a pause and do what we can because when you do see that a significant amount of Republicans throughout this country want the Republicans in Congress to fight all Biden policies, that's just, that's not doable for, for a country that's in the type of trouble that's just talked about. We need to unite as a country and we can fight on impeachment or on the filibuster, but, We can't fight on how we deal with COVID, how we get the economy back together, how we get women back into the workplace, how we get, you know, Americans to put food on the table. There has to be some bottom line in terms of where we come together as Republicans and Democrats um, and then agree on a few facts and, and move forward to help those who need our help desperately.
0: Susan Molinari, Steve Israel, two former members of Congress from New York. Thank you very much for joining us with the Campaign for the Future of Democracy. I'm Stephen Portnoy as we continue our live coverage from CBS News of the inauguration of President Joe Biden whose term begins 32 and one-half minutes from now. Let's listen together as uh, Senator Roy Blunt, who's uh, the chairman of the Joint Committee on the Inaugural Ceremonies, continues addressing the crowd on the Mall.
12: A great democracy working through the successes and failures of our history, striving to be better than it had been. And we are more than we have been, and we are less than we hope to be. The assault on our capital at this very place, just two weeks ago, reminds us that a government designed to balance and check itself is both fragile and resilient. During the last year, the pandemic challenged our free and open society and called for extraordinary determination and sacrifice, and still challenges us today. Meeting that challenge head-on have been and are health care workers, scientists, first responders, essential frontline workers, and so many others we depend on in so many ways. Today we come to this moment, people all over the world, as we're here, are watching and will watch what we do here. Our government comes together, the Congress and the courts join the transition of executive responsibility. One political party more pleased today and on every inaugural day than the other. But this is not a moment of division, it's a moment of unification. A new administration begins and brings with it a new beginning. And with that, our great national debate goes forward and a determined democracy will continue to be essential in pursuit of a more perfect union and a better future for all Americans. What a privilege for me to join you today. Thank you. Missouri Senator
0: Roy Blunt, Chairman of the Joint Committee on Inaugural Ceremonies.
12: A long-time friend of the President-elect and his family, Father Leo O'Donovan, to lead us in an invocation. Please stand if you are able and remain standing for the national anthem and the pledge to our flag.
0: Father Leo J. O'Donovan, former president of georgetown university and a jesuit priest
3: cbs news special report here's correspondent stephen portnoy
0: you're listening to cbs news live coverage of the inauguration of president joe biden father leo j o'donovan a jesuit priest former president of georgetown university is set to give the invocation
4: Gracious and merciful God, at this sacred time we come before you in need, indeed on our knees. But we come still more with hope and with our eyes raised anew to the vision of a more perfect union in our land, a union of all our citizens to promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. We are a people of many races, creeds, and colors, national backgrounds, cultures, and styles, now far more numerous and on land much vaster than when Archbishop John Carroll wrote his prayer for the inauguration of George Washington 232 years ago. Archbishop Carroll prayed that you, O creator of all, would assist with your holy spirit of counsel and fortitude, the president of these United States, that his administration may be conducted in righteousness and be eminently useful to your people. Today, we confess our past failures to live according to our vision of equality, inclusion, and freedom for all yet we resolutely commit still more now to renewing the vision, to caring for one another in word and deed, especially the least fortunate among us, and so becoming a light for the world. There is a power in each and every one of us that lives by turning to every other one of us, a thrust of the Spirit to cherish and care and stand by others and above all those most in need. It is called love, and its path is to give ever more of itself. Today it is called American patriotism, born not of power and privilege, but of care for the common good, with malice toward none and with charity for all. For our new president, we beg of you the wisdom Solomon sought when he knelt before you and prayed for an understanding heart so that I can govern your people and know the difference between right and wrong. We trust in the counsel of the letter of James. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Pope Francis has reminded us how important it is to dream together. By ourselves, he wrote, we risk seeing mirages, things that are not there. Dreams, on the other hand, are built together. Be with us, holy mystery of love, as we dream together. Help us under our new president to reconcile the people of our land, restore our dream, and invest it with peace and justice and the joy that is the overflow of love. To the glory of your name forever. Amen.
0: Father Leo J. O'Donovan, Jesuit priest, former president of Georgetown University, delivering the invocation. we bring you CBS News live coverage of the inauguration of President Joe Biden, the 59th inaugural ceremonies having occurred in this country every four years since 1789 when George Washington took the oath. And it's interesting because Joe Biden is actually going to take the exact same oath, the same 35 word oath, which uh, has the new president vowing to faithfully execute the office, preserve and protect the Constitution that uh, George Washington first read in 1789.
7: And now, the vice president
0: weeks. takes a longer oath. It's the same one administered to members of the House and Senate and other government officials. It uh, mentions defending the Constitution against the nation's enemies, foreign and domestic. It has the oath taker swearing that he or she does so freely without mental reservation or purpose of evasion. That oath has been the same since 1884, and you're going to hear Kamala Harris say it in just a few minutes. She is set to t- be sworn in as the nation's next vice president, the first Madam Vice President. An honor guard is now being brought onto the west front of the Capitol representing the flags of all of the armed forces, including the latest one, the Space Force. Let's listen. CBS's Steve Dorsey is with us at the Capitol. Steve, desc- describe the scene. Well, it's uh
6: very still at the Capitol, Stephen.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, uh, after this here nine for the
7: singing of our national mantle, guard accompanied by the uh, president's own United States Marine Band, Lady Gaga. Lady yep. Gaga,
0: <laughs> Lady Gaga is wearing, as far as I can tell, a red flowing dress, a black top, and a, a gold eagle of some type. Of course, Lady Gaga, the Grammy winner known for her outlandish (laughs) costumes on stage on the arm of a Marine, being brought down uh, and being directed toward the podium where she's going to sing the national anthem. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Lady Gaga. Stopping before she reaches the podium to pay her respects to the new president and the vice president. It's a gold-plated microphone she's holding. by the U.S. Marine Band with the rendition of the Star-Spangled Banner. CBS is Steve Dorsey live on Capitol Hill. Steve?
6: Yeah, that was uh, certainly uh, an interesting performance by Lady Gaga of the National Anthem uh, wearing an interesting outfit choice as she uh, leaves the podium and, and makes brief remarks to uh, President Biden and Vice President Donald Harris. I should say she needs to tweet this morning, saying that singing ladies the national anthem is is her honor, uh, Fulton, and it's Georgia a moment fire of change between uh, POTUS 45 to 46. For me, she says this is great. Meetings,
7: Local 3920, 20. Fire Captain Andrea M. Hall for the recitation. EA announcer is announcing
0: Andrea Hall, the uh, fire captain from South Fulton, Georgia, for the pledge of allegiance.
1: I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all."
0: Andrea Hall there was actually doing sign language, ASL, American Sign Language, to help the heart of hearing understand the Pledge of Allegiance. between speakers the podium is being quickly wiped down
13: what you are all about to be part of america is a historic moment of first to administer the oath to our first african-american our first asian-american and our first woman vice president kamala harris it is my great privilege to welcome to the inaugural stage the first Latina to ever serve on the Supreme Court of the United States of America, Justice Sonia Sotomayor.
0: Amy Klobuchar, the Democrat Senator from Minnesota, and co-chair of the Joint Committee on
7: Amos
0: So the vice president-elect set to become the nation's next vice president is taking the podium to the left. Sonia Sotomayor, the first Latina justice Please on
1: the Supreme Court, right, is on the right. Let's listen repeat in. After me. I, Kamala Davy Harris, do solemnly swear.
11: I Kamala Davy Harris solemnly swear.
1: That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States.
11: That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States
1: against all enemies, foreign and domestic that i will bear true faith and allegiance to the same that i will bear true faith and allegiance to the same that i take this obligation freely that i take this obligation freely without then, any mental reservation or purpose of evasion without any mental reservation that I will well and faithfully discharge
11: that I will
2: well and faithfully discharge
1: the duties of the office on which I am about to enter the
11: duties of the office upon which I am about to enter
1: so help me God
11: so help me God Kamala
0: Harris in a blue pantsuit hugs her husband, lawyer Doug Emhoff, a broad smiles on her face she gives fist bumps to the president-elect, Joe Biden. And now America has had its first female vice president sworn in. You hear the Marine Band playing "Hail Columbia, which it did for Mike Pence about a half hour ago. This is an emblem of the transfer of power, the same song now being played for Kamala Harris. A moment of history, a moment of representation. CBS CBS's Allison Keys is live. Allison?
1: Stephen, I've got to say, I've got tears in my eyes watching this because... I never thought to see this in my lifetime. My mother never thought to see this in her lifetime. My grandmother never thought to see this in her lifetime. And yes, all wreathed and smiles, but while she was taking that oath, the seriousness on her face and the commitment was tangible. A couple of things I want to say. For one thing, as usual as she wears in her important moments, the Vice President President Harris is wearing pearls. She wore black Tahitian pearls when she was getting her COVID-19 vaccination and when she was sworn into Congress. She wore pearls when she debated former Vice President Mike Pence today. She is wearing a string of pearls created by Puerto Rican jeweler Wilfredo Rosado. Pearls mean sisterhood to the Vice President's historically black sorority Alpha Kappa Alpha, but they are also a symbol of feminine empowerment. As I said earlier, there's a Facebook group of women Called Wear Pearls on January 20th, 2021, inviting women and girls around the world to join her in wearing pearls. And on November 7th, when the Vice President gave her victory speech, she spoke to young women and told them, Dream with ambition, lead with conviction, and see yourselves in a way that others may not, simply because they've never seen it before. One more short note she is also, as becoming Vice President, she will also be the President of the Senate, which is usually a largely ceremonial position, but in a Senate that it is going to be split 50-50. The tie-breaking vote she can cast will give Democrats control of the chamber, and given the hyper-bipartisanship in Congress, she may need to cast many of those. Stephen?
0: Could be a very busy first two years, perhaps, for Kamala <laughs> <a> Harris <laughs> until, the, until voters weigh in and decide the shape of the next Congress uh, one way or the other. But for now, there is a 50-50 tie, and you're absolutely right. Kamala Harris will serve essentially in that joint role of being the vice president of the United States in the executive branch, but also casting the deciding vote in the legislative branch. CBS's Allison Keys, thank you for that. You're listening to Jennifer Lopez, the uh, pop artist who is singing a selection of American songs. There, This Land is Your Land by Woodri- uh, Woody Guthrie. Could be a medley. We expect about four minutes of it. So let's, uh, as we listen to it, bring in our political analysts, Leonard Steinhorn and Peter Mayer. Peter, let me start with you. Uh, a moment in history there with the swearing in of Kamala Harris.
9: Well, absolutely, and I have to join Allison in saying that uh, it is certainly something that uh, many of us never thought that we would see. Some of us of a certain generation, perhaps others take it for granted, but no one should. The nation's 49th vice president is now the nation's first woman, black, and, as we've been reporting for so many uh, weeks, person of Indian heritage to serve now, Stephen, already a heartbeat away from the presidency, Kamala Harris, is certainly the most powerful woman ever in U.S. government and also the uh, first graduate of an historic black college or university to serve as vice president, Uh, graduated of course from Howard University. That school, by the way, is just about two miles away from the White House and I would venture to say when she was studying there she never imagined that she would become vice president of the United States or maybe she did, Stephen. (laughs)
0: All right, Peter Mayer. You know, it it strikes me as we reflect on the history that's being made here that uh, the oath that the president-elect Joe Biden is about to take as he becomes the 46th president, it's the same one, the same 35 words. It's 39, if you add, so help me God. But otherwise, the same 35 words that every president since George Washington has said as they assumed the office. And uh, they've been heard on this CBS radio network since 1929. We happen to have recordings dating back to 1933.
14: I, Franklin
15: Delano
16: Roosevelt, do solemnly swear. I, Harry S. Truman, do solemnly swear. I, Dwight D. Eisenhower, do solemnly swear. I, John Fitzgerald
5: Kennedy, do solemnly swear. I, Lyndon Baines Johnson, do solemnly swear.
16: I, Richard Billhouse, Nixon, do solemnly swear. I, Jimmy Carter, do solemnly swear.
5: I, Ronald Reagan, do solemnly swear.
16: I, George Herbert
3: Walker Bush, do solemnly swear.
5: I,
16: William Jefferson Clinton,
5: do solemnly swear. I, George Walker Bush, do solemnly swear. I, Barack Hussein Obama, do solemnly swear. I, Donald John Trump, do solemnly swear. That
10: I
15: will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. And will, to the best of my ability, preserve,
4: protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. So help
10: me God. Congratulations, Mr. President.
0: And that's how it'll sound in a, just a matter of moments as Chief Justice John Roberts takes the podium along with Joseph Robinette ball, Biden, Jr. Honors. The Chief Justice John Roberts approaches the podium from the right, Joe Biden from the left, standing at a further distance than normal. The First Lady, Dr. Joe Biden, wearing an ocean blue wool tweed coat and dress by Alexandra O'Neill members of the biden family have also gathered around including son hunter daughter ashley
10: please raise your right hand
0: and repeat after me
5: i joseph robinette biden jr do solemnly swear i joseph robinette biden jr do solemnly swear that i will faithfully execute that i will faithfully execute the office of president of the united states office of president of the united states and will to the best of my ability Will to the best of my ability. Preserve, protect, and defend. Preserve, protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. Constitution of the United States. So help you God. So help me God. Congratulations, Mr. President.
0: The hug and kiss to his wife, Dr. Jill Biden, the 78-year-old son of Scranton, who spent a half-century in public life, 36 years in the Senate, eight years as vice president, now becomes president of the United States, taking the oath today after three runs for the White House. Joe Biden's family life has been beset by tragedy, the death of his wife and daughter in 1972, the death of his beloved son, Beau, in 2015. He said he was inspired to run for the office in 2019, to win the battle for the soul of America. And it seemed at times a rocky road to the White House. He placed fourth one year ago in Iowa, fifth in New Hampshire. But it was a relatively smooth path to the Democratic nomination as the nation first grappled with the COVID virus. Mr. Biden won the election with 306 electoral votes in the backing of more than 81 million Americans, more than any candidate in the nation's history. And now he is the 46th president of the United States. CBS News political analyst Leonard Steinhorn on The Moment in
8: History. Well, it's a Ladies moving moment. We've seen the peaceful transition of power take place. Uh, the most visible symbol of division has left Washington, D.C., but symbols will only get us so far. This moment only gets us so far. The success of Joe Biden's presidency will be not in what necessarily he says today, But in the actions he takes in the first 100 or so days of his presidency, dealing with this enormous crisis and the difficulties we face as a nation, he knows this moment is historic. He knows what he has ahead of him, and he will be prepared for it as somebody who has been in public service since the 1970s. People are expecting a great deal of him. We will see how in his speech, in his address, how he lays out his vision, how he speaks to his values, how he talks about unifying the country, and how he tries to bring us together in pursuit of the things that he and this country need to do to rebuild and to get out of this very difficult moment that we've been in.
0: The theme of this inaugural ceremony is America United, and aides to the new president told us yesterday that uh, Mr. Biden will speak about the need to bring the country together together during an unprecedented moment of crisis. He'll call on every citizen to be part of this meeting, the extraordinary challenge that face all of us. Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota, who is the co-chair of the Joint Committee on Inaugural Ceremonies, will introduce the new president.
13: A moment we have all been waiting for. It is now my great privilege and high honor to be the first person to officially introduce the 46th President of the United States, Joseph R. Biden, Jr.
0: The audience rises to its feet to applaud the new president. Aides to Joe Biden said this would be a forward-looking speech that addresses the moment we're living in as a country. We're listening to live coverage from CBS News.
5: Vice President Harris. Speaker Pelosi, Leader Schumer, Leader McConnell, Vice President Pence, my uh, distinguished guests, my fellow Americans. This is America's day. This is democracy's day. A day of history and hope, of renewal and resolve. Through a crucible for the ages, America has been tested anew, and America has risen to the challenge. Today, we celebrate the triumph not of a candidate, but of a cause, the cause of democracy. The people, the will of the people has been heard, and the will of the people has been heeded. We've learned again that democracy is precious, Democracy is fragile, and at this hour, my friends, democracy has prevailed. So now, on this hallowed ground where just a few days ago violence sought to shake the capital's very foundation, we come together as one nation, under God, indivisible, to carry out the peaceful transfer of power as we have for more than two centuries. As we look ahead in our uniquely American way, restless, bold, optimistic, and set our sights on the nation we know we can be and we must be. I thank my predecessors of both parties for their presence here today. I thank them from the bottom of my heart, and I know And I know the resilience of our Constitution and the strength, the strength of our nation, as does President Carter, who I spoke with last night, who cannot be with us today, but whom we salute for his lifetime in service. I've just taken the sacred oath each of those patriots have taken, the oath first sworn by George Washington. But the American story depends not on any one of us, not on some of us, but on all of us, on we, the people, who seek a more perfect union. This is a great nation. We are a good people. And over the centuries, through storm and strife, in peace and in war, we've come so far but we still have far to go. We'll press forward with speed and urgency, for we have much to do in this winter of peril and significant possibilities. Much to repair, much to restore, much to heal, much to build, and much to gain. Few people in our nation's history have been more challenged or found a time more challenging Are difficult than the time we're in now. Once-in-a-century virus that silently stalks the country has taken as many lives in one year as America lost in all of World War II. Millions of jobs have been lost. Hundreds of thousands of businesses closed. A cry for racial justice, some 400 years in the making, moves us the dream of justice for all will be deferred no longer. A cry for survival comes from the planet itself, a cry that can't be any more desperate or any more clear. And now, a rise of political extremism, white supremacy, domestic terrorism that we must confront and we will defeat. To overcome these challenges, to restore the soul and secure the future of America, requires so much more than words. It requires the most elusive of all things in a democracy, unity, unity. In another January, on New Year's Day in 1863, Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. When he put pen to paper, the president said, and I quote, if my name ever goes down into history, it'll be for this act. And my whole soul is in it. My whole soul is in it. Today, on this January day, my whole soul is in this, bringing America together, uniting our people, uniting our nation. AND I ASK EVERY AMERICAN TO JOIN ME IN THIS CAUSE. UNITING TO FIGHT THE FOES WE FACE, ANGER, RESENTMENT AND HATRED, EXTREMISM, LAWLESSNESS, VIOLENCE, DISEASE, JOBLESSNESS AND HOPELESSNESS. WITH UNITY, WE CAN DO GREAT THINGS, IMPORTANT THINGS. We can right wrongs. We can put people to work in good jobs. We can teach our children in safe schools. We can overcome the deadly virus. We can reward reward work and rebuild the middle class and make health care secure for all. We can deliver racial justice, and we can make America once again the leading force for good in the world. I know speaking of unity can sound to some like a foolish fantasy these days. I know the forces that divide us are deep and they are real. But I also know they are not new. Our history has been a constant struggle between the American ideal that we're all are created equal and the harsh, ugly reality that racism, nativism, fear, demonization have long torn us apart. The battle is perennial. And victory is never assured. Through civil war, the Great Depression, World War, 9 11, through struggle, sacrifice, and setbacks, our better angels have always prevailed. In each of these moments, enough of us, enough of us have come together to carry all of us forward. And we can do that now. History, faith, and reason show the way the way of unity. We can see each other, not as adversaries, but as neighbors. We can treat each other with dignity and respect. We can join forces, stop the shouting, and lower the temperature. For without unity, there is no peace, only bitterness and fury. No progress, only exhausting outrage. No nation, only a state of chaos. This is our historic moment of crisis and challenge, and unity is the path forward. And we must meet this moment as the United States of America. If we do that, I guarantee you we will not fail. We have never, ever, ever, ever failed in America. We've acted together, and so today, At this time, in this place, let's start afresh, all of us. Let's begin to listen to one another again, hear one another, see one another, show respect to one another. Politics doesn't have to be a raging fire, destroying everything in its path. Every disagreement doesn't have to be a cause for total war. And we must reject the culture in which facts themselves are manipulated and even manufactured. My fellow Americans, we have to be different than this. America has to be better than this. And I believe America is so much better than this. Just look around. Here we stand in the shadow of the Capitol Dome, as was mentioned earlier, completed amid the Civil War. When the union itself was literally hanging in the balance. Yet we endured. We prevailed. Here we stand, looking out on the great mall where Dr. King spoke of his dream. Here we stand, where 108 years ago, at another inaugural, thousands of protesters tried to block brave women marching for the right to vote. And today, we mark the swearing in as the first woman in American history elected to national office, Vice President Kamala Harris. Don't tell me things can't change. Here we stand, across the Potomac from Arlington Cemetery, where heroes who gave the last full measure of devotion rest in eternal peace. And here we stand, just days after a riotous mob, thought they could use violence to silence the will of the people, to stop the work of our democracy, to drive us from this sacred ground. It did not happen. It will never happen. Not today, not tomorrow, not ever. Not ever. To all those who supported our campaign, I'm humbled by the faith you place in us to all those who did not support us. Let me say this. Hear me out as we move forward. Take a measure of me and my heart. If you still disagree, so be it. That's democracy. That's America. The right to dissent peaceably within the guardrails of our republic is perhaps this nation's greatest strength. Yet hear me clearly. Disagreement must not lead to disunion. And I pledge this to you. I will be a president for all Americans. All Americans. And I promise you, I will fight as hard for those who did not support me as for those who did. Many centuries ago, St. Augustine, A saint of my church wrote that a people was a multitude defined by the common objects of their love, defined by the common objects of their love. What are the common objects we as Americans love that define us as Americans? I think we know. Opportunity, security, liberty, dignity, respect, honor, and yes, the truth. Recent weeks and months have taught us a painful lesson. There is truth and there are lies. Lies told for power and for profit. And each of us has a duty and a responsibility as citizens, as Americans, and especially as leaders. Leaders who have pledged to honor our Constitution and protect our nation, to defend the truth and defeat the lies. Look... I understand that many of my fellow Americans view the future with fear and trepidation. I understand they worry about their jobs. I understand, like my dad, they lay in bed staring at at night, staring at the ceiling, wondering, can I keep my health care? Can I pay my mortgage? Thinking about their families, about what comes next. I promise you, I get it. But the answer is not to turn inward, to retreat into competing factions, distrusting those who don't look like look like you or worship the way you do or don't get their news from the same sources you do. We must end this uncivil war that pits red against blue, rural versus urban, or, or rural versus urban, conservative versus liberal. We can do this if we open our souls instead of hardening our hearts, if we show a little tolerance and humility, and if we're willing to stand in the other person's shoes, as my mom would say, just... stronger, more prosperous, more ready for the future, and we can still disagree. My fellow Americans, we need all our strength to to persevere through this dark winter. We're entering what may be the toughest and deadliest period of the virus. We must set aside politics and finally face this pandemic as one nation. ONE NATION. AND I PROMISE YOU THIS, AS THE BIBLE SAYS, WEEPING MAY ENDURE FOR A NIGHT, BUT JOY COMETH IN THE MORNING. WE WILL GET THROUGH THIS TOGETHER. TOGETHER. LOOK, FOLKS, ALL MY COLLEAGUES I SERVE WITH IN THE HOUSE AND THE SENATE UP HERE, WE ALL UNDERSTAND THE WORLD IS WATCHING watching all of us today. So here's my message to those beyond our borders. America has been tested, and we've come out stronger for it. We will repair our alliances and engage with the world once again, not to meet yesterday's challenges, but today's and tomorrow's challenges, and we will lead not merely by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. We'll be a strong and trusted partner for peace, progress, and security. Look, you all know we've been th- through so much in this nation. And in my first act as president, I'd like to ask you to join me in a moment of silent prayer Remember, all those who we lost in this past year to the pandemic, those 400,000 fellow Americans, moms, dads, husbands, wives, sons, daughters, friends, neighbors and co-workers. We will honor them by becoming the people and the nation we know we can and should be. So I ask you, let's say a silent prayer for those who've lost their lives and those left behind and for our country. Amen. Folks, this is a time of testing. We face an attack on our democracy and on truth, a raging virus, growing inequity, the sting of systemic racism, a climate in crisis, America's role in the world. Any one of these would be enough to challenge us in profound ways. But the fact is, we face them all at once, Presenting this nation with one of the gravest responsibilities we've had. Now we're going to be tested. Are we going to step up, all of us? It's time for boldness, for there's so much to do. And this is certain. I promise you, we will be judged, you and I, by how we resolve these cascading crises of our era. We will rise to the occasion, is the question. Will we master this rare and difficult hour? Will we meet our obligations and pass along a new and better world to our children? I believe we must. I'm sure you do as well. I believe we will. And when we do, we'll write the next great chapter in the history of the United States of America, the American story. A story that might sound something like a song that means a lot to me. It's called American Anthem. There's one verse that stands out, at least for me, and it goes like this. The work and prayers of Century have brought us to this day. What shall be our legacy? What will our children say? Let me know in my heart when my days are through, America, America, I gave my best to you. Let's add, let's us add our own work and prayers to the unfolding story of our great nation. If we do this, then when our days are through, our children and our children's children will save us. They gave their best. They did their duty. They healed the broken land. My fellow Americans, I closed the day where I began with the sacred oath. Before God and all of you, I give you my word. I will always level with you. I will defend the Constitution. I'll defend our democracy. I'll defend America. I will give all, all of you, keep everything you, I do in your service. Thinking not of power, but of possibilities, not of personal interest, but the public good. And together we shall write an American story of hope, not fear, of unity, not division, of light, not darkness, a story of decency and dignity, love and healing, greatness and goodness. May this be the story that guides us, the story that inspires us, and the story that tells ages yet to come that we answered the call of history we met the moment democracy and hope truth and justice did not die in our watch but thrived that america secured liberty at home and stood once again as a beacon to the world that is what we owe our forebears one another and generation to follow so with purpose and resolve We turn to those tasks of our time, sustained by faith, driven by conviction, devoted to one another and the country we love with all our hearts. May God bless America and may God protect our troops. Thank you, America.
0: Promising to be a president for all Americans, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. urges an end to what he called this uncivil war that pits red against blue, pointing to anger, hatred, disease, and hopelessness as America's foes. Mr. Biden urged those who didn't vote for him to take a measure of him and his heart, and if they still disagree, he said, so be it, that's democracy. But Mr. Biden said disagreement must not lead to disunion. I'm Stephen Portnoy. You're listening to live coverage of the inauguration of Joe Biden as the 46th president. Mr. Biden called this a time of testing amid attacks on democracy and truth and vowed he would always level with Americans and defend democracy as well as the country itself. As Garth Brooks takes the stage to perform, let's go to CBS's Steve Dorsey, who's on Capitol Hill. Steve?
6: Stephen, this speech was about civility truth and equality, a departure at this location from President Trump's inaugural address, focusing on American despair, closed factories, vanishing jobs, the redistribution of wealth, and America First policies. At one point, members of the National Guard joined President Biden in prayer for those who... Were lost to the coronavirus at moments. We saw former president Bill Clinton and former secretary of state and Democratic challenger to Mr. Biden, Hillary Clinton, oh, nodding yeah, in agreement during the speech. Vice President Mike Pence sat stoically as President Biden called for the country to heal divisions and repair broken alliances. This, of course, all unfolding without the presence of now former President Trump oh, at his South Florida estate. Let's line. take a listen to Garth Brooks.
14: I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. When we've been there ten thousand years bright shining as the sun We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first become I can ask you to sing this last verse with me not just the people here but the people at home at work as one united amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a rest Like me I once was lost But now I'm found Was blind But now I see Garth Brooks.
6: His grace among that cheering crowd, taking off his hat, saluting the president, a new vice president, and shaking the hand of outgoing vice president, former vice president Mike Pence. Let's go now to Allison Keyes, who's been watching these events unfold. Allison, what can you tell us about uh, what's been happening today?
1: Well, Stephen, that was the kind of tribute to unity that gets you dead in your stomach when Garth Brooks asked the nation, the people at home, the people at work to sing that last verse of amazing grace with him was, well, frankly, amazing. And something, as you said, is not a thing that you've seen from this space in quite some time. We want to talk a little bit about our new president, President Joe Biden's speech. He called Allison this. Oh, i He's we'll
6: reporting there. We had a bit of breakup on your line. We'll work to fix that now. The uh, the chairman of this congressional committee that's overseeing this uh, this uh, inauguration has introduced Amanda Gorman. She's the youngest poet ever with the inauguration. Let's take a listen. The podium being cleaned before Ms. Gorman takes the microphone.
2: Mr. Dr. Biden, Madam Vice President, Mr. Emhoff, Americans, and the world. When day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never-ending shade? The loss we carry, a sea we must wade. We've braved the belly of the beast. We've learned that quiet isn't always peace. We are striving to forge our union with purpose, to compose a country committed to all cultures, colors, characters, and conditions of man. And so we lift our gaze not to what stands between us, but what stands before us.
0: of the United States studied at Harvard told the New York Times she wants to run for president herself in 2036 remember that name Amanda Gorman CBS Steve Dorsey on Capitol Thank Hill as the uh, Benedictine ceremony Benedictine gets ready to wind down
12: Dr. Beeman, the yeah pastor, Amanda Gorman I Bethel, should say uh, she's African just 22 the, the youngest known Church inaugural in poet in Delaware, uh, performing The, the Hill We Climb that uh,
6: was what she composed Uh, in response to the riots at the Capitol. Here's
0: Reverend Dr. Sylvester Beeman to deliver the benediction. He's from the Bethel AME Church in Wilmington, Delaware. That's uh, the, the hometown of the new president. Here's Reverend Dr. Beeman.
15: As a nation and people of faith gathered in this historical moment, let us unite in prayer. God, we gather under the beauty of your holiness and the holiness of your beauty. We seek your face, your smile, your warm embrace. We petition you once more in this celebration. We pray for divine favor upon our president, Joseph R. Biden, and our first lady, Dr. Jill Biden, and their family. We further ask that you would extend the same favor upon our vice president, Kamala D. Harris, and our second gentleman, Doug Emhoff, and their family. More than ever, more than ever, they and our nation need you. We need you. For in you, we discover our common humanity. In our common humanity, we will seek out the wounded and bind their wounds. We will seek healing for those who are sick and diseased. We will mourn our dead. We will befriend the lonely, the least, and the left out. We will share our abundance with those who are hungry. We will do justly to the oppressed. Acknowledge sin and seek forgiveness, thus grasping reconciliation. In discovering our humanity, we will seek the good in and for all our neighbors. We will love the unlovable. Remove the stigma of the so-called untouchables. We will care for our most vulnerable: our children, the elderly, emotionally challenged, and the poor. We will seek. Rehabilitation beyond correction. We'll extend opportunity to those locked out of opportunity. We will make friends of our enemies. We will make friends of our enemies. People, your people, shall no longer raise up weapons against one another. We will rather use our resources for the national good and become a beacon of life and goodwill to the world. And neither shall we learn hatred anymore. We'll lie down in peace and not make our neighbors afraid. In you, O God, we discover our humanity. In our humanity, we discover our commonness beyond the difference of color, creed, origin, political party, ideology, geography, and personal preferences will become greater stewards of your environment, preserving the land, reaping from it a sustainable harvest, and securing its wonder and miracle-giving power for generations to come. This is our benediction, that from these hallowed grounds where slaves labored to build this shrine and citadel, to liberty and democracy. Let us all acknowledge from the indigenous Native American to those who recently received their citizenship, from the African American to those whose foreparents came from Europe and every corner of the globe, from the wealthy to those struggling to make it, from every human being, regardless of their choices, that this is our country. As such, teach us, O God, as such, teach us, O God, to live in it, love in it, be healed in it, and reconcile to one another in it, lest we miss kingdom's goal. To your glory, majesty, dominion, and power forever. Hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah, in the strong name of our collective faith. Amen.
0: Powerful words of the Reverend Dr. Sylvester S. Beeman of the Bethel AME Church in Wilmington, Delaware, delivering the benediction. As the 46th president of the United States, Joseph R. Biden Jr. has been sworn in and inaugurated in Washington, D.C., under sunny skies, temperatures in the low 40s. Before a smaller-than-usual crowd, for all the reasons you know, COVID and security concerns in Washington. The Military Honor Guard is now proceeding back into the Capitol building as these ceremonies wind down to a close. A busy day ahead... For the new president, he's going to next take part in a pass and review of the troops. He's going to go to Arlington National Cemetery for a wreath laying. And at the White House today, after a brief parade, a number of executive orders are waiting on his Oval Office desk. Stay with us as we continue our coverage from CBS News. I'm Stephen Portnoy.
7: CBS News special report, a message of unity from President Joe Biden at his inauguration.
5: We can join forces, stop the shouting, and lower the temperature. For without unity, there is no peace,
7: only bitterness and fury. Mr. Biden just sworn in as the nation's 46th president. He says he'll defend the country's democracy, vowing to work for the public good, not personal interests.
5: We have much to do in this winter of peril and significant possibilities, much to repair, much to restore, much to heal, much to build, and much to gain.
7: Kamala Harris making history as the first woman to be vice president and the first person of color. I
13: Kamala Davy Harris, solemnly
1: swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States.
7: Donald Trump skipped all of this, but a spokesman says he did leave a letter for Mr. Biden at the White House. CBS News Special Report, I'm Steve Finn.
3: CBS News Special Report. Here's correspondent Stephen Portnoy.
0: And we continue our CBS News live coverage of the inauguration of the 46th president of the United States, Joseph R. Biden Jr., now thanking the guests who are receding from the West Front Capitol platform where the new president has been sworn in. The vice president, Kamala Harris, is now thanking some of the people on hand as well. The new president promised that he would lead all Americans, Joe Biden urging an end to what he called this uncivil war that pits red against blue. And he pointed out America's foes as anger, hatred, disease and hopelessness, among others, he also said that it's time for a, a testing amid attacks on democracy and on truth. CBS News political analyst Leonard Steinhorn, what did you make of uh, the, the, the new president's inaugural address?
8: Well, Stephen, it's no surprise that he uh, cited Abraham Lincoln twice, and he did say we must end this uncivil war. Um, remember, Joe Biden decided to run for the presidency after what happened in charlottesville and him seeing the rise of white supremacy and the permission he believed the former president donald trump gave to that in this country to joe biden this was a speech that had a number of themes its key theme unity as he said politics does not have to be a raging fire destroying all in its path Another theme: democracy. That we have to build a democracy on upon a foundation of fact and evidence, and something in which people don't sort of choose not to accept fact and evidence, but can disagree over the interpretation of fact and evidence, which is fine. This was a speech in which he he talked about the, a resolve to address and to deal with the challenges facing our nation: challenges of a pandemic, a faltering economy, loss of confidence in us internationally and our 400-year sort of reckoning over race in this country. Um, And and it was a speech that was sort of personal in a way because he spoke to his commitment to justice and his sense that only humility will enable somebody to rise to this occasion. If you listen to the poet laureate uh, afterwards, the youth poet laureate, Amanda Gorman, she talked about, um, you know, we lift our gaze not to what stands between us, but what to to what stands before us. And I think that is exactly sort of the message that Joe Biden wanted to communicate in this speech, that we've gone through tough times, but we have to come together and be resolved to be able to address the challenges we face and to move ahead into this new America and hand it off to future generations.
0: The new president and first lady are getting on with a busy first day. They're going to proceed to the rotunda where it's a sort of a, an altered version of the inaugural luncheon where they'll spend some time with congressional leaders. I want to quickly bring in Sam Fulwood, who's a senior fellow for politics with a focus on race and equity at the Center for American Progress, also a veteran political, uh, uh, Pulitzer Prize winning newspaper man who's just been named the dean of the School of Communications at American University. Sam, thank you so much for joining us. The, the nation has witnessed the peaceful transfer of power It's seen the installation of America's first female, first African-American, first South Asian vice president. Sam Fulwood. talk about the historical significance of Kamala Harris's swearing in. Sam Fulwood, do we have you?
17: Can you hear me now? Yes, we got you now. Go ahead, sir. I'm sorry. I think every uh, presidential inauguration is historic. This one, um, like the one 12 years ago, has the added um, historical feature to it because it speaks to the nation's longstanding struggle with racial uh, justice and racial equality, so that we can add to the historic nature of of presidential transition. Um, The fact that it is a symbol of our original sin as a country, which was slavery which was racial discrimination. Um, And it is particularly poignant at this particular time because of what we've experienced over the last four years, where race was used to divide Americans. Um, I found it particularly ironic too that the Trump presidency was bookended by um, racial progress in terms of the presidency, in terms of inaugurations. He followed the first black president by the first black and Asian uh, vice president, as well as woman. And and I think that is uh, sort of a historical feature that can't be overlooked.
0: Sam Fulwood, let me ask you quickly, we have about 45 seconds. Uh, Joe Biden has acknowledged that uh, the African-American community helped him win this election. He has said that uh, the, the black voters have, have always had his back and he'll have theirs. What kind of positive change are black voters counting on?
17: I think first and foremost, Black voters, Black Americans are looking for a a change in the rhetoric coming out of Washington, coming out of the White House, coming out of our nation where they are not vilified uh, as the problem. I think first and foremost, that's what they want. I I think also um, the policies, the the seeking of more egalitarian uh, Americanism is what they want, as all Americans want All right, Sam
0: Fullwood, thank you so much for joining us. Unfortunately, time waits for no man, and we have to cut away for just a moment as we continue our CBS News live coverage of the inauguration of Joe Biden from CBS News. CBS News
3: special report, the inauguration of Joseph R. Biden, Jr. From CBS News,
0: here's correspondent Stephen Portnoy. The nation has witnessed a peaceful transfer of power. Donald Trump wasn't on hand to witnesses, but Joseph Biden has taken the oath of office and become the 46th president of the United States. In his inaugural address, Joe Biden said the will of the people has been heard and heeded. But he also said that the last few weeks have proven that democracy is precious, fragile. But he said it has prevailed, despite what just happened two weeks ago today, violence seeking to shake America's foundation. The events of two weeks ago traumatized the country, and a newsman we sincerely admire, Bob Schieffer, the chief Washington correspondent of America, discussed his disgust yesterday on it KRLD in Dallas.
16: made me uh, sick at my stomach. You know, I spent a good part of my uh, time at CBS News uh, going up and down the corridors of the United States Capitol. It, it, to me, it, it's almost a, a, a holy place. And uh, I never went in the Capitol. It was always my favorite beat. I never went in the Capitol. And I didn't think to myself, well, here you are in the Capitol again. And, you know, some reporters love to cover the White House. And, it, you know, it's a prestigious beat. But to me, Washington was the U.S. Capitol. And uh, I, I it just really upset me to see that trash coming through the Capitol. And and tearing up things, and taking selfies, and dressed in those ridiculous costumes, uh, it, it, was, it was truly upsetting to see all that unfold, and let alone the danger that those Capitol Police and members of, of Congress uh, and the Senate were put into by that. I mean, those people were shouting, hang pence. Uh, they were talking, uh, you could hear shouts of shooting Pelosi. I mean, this is not America and this is not this is not who we are.
0: Well, a remarkable contrast that America has witnessed between what happened two weeks ago and what happened today. CBS's Steve Dorsey on Capitol Hill. It looks like everything went smoothly, to say the least.
6: Yes, smoothly, but certainly differently this year, Stephen, uh, than pretty much any inauguration most of us can remember Uh, with a very scaled-down footprint on the West Lawn taking place in a cold uh, morning in January with sun trying to peek through these clouds. But there were no spectators that we had seen during the inaugurations of uh, former President Obama or or even former President Trump. Instead, on the National Mall, they were replaced with 200,000 miniature flags representing the the 50 American states, the District of Columbia, and... uh, five permanently inhabited territories across the U.S., and and now the uh, day's other festivities are getting underway, Steve.
0: Well, it's a busy day ahead. Uh, The uh, congressional leadership is now on the east front platform, standing together in in a sign of solidarity, and it's interesting, the the, uh, president, the new president, and the congressional leaders are taking part in a socially distanced alternative to the traditional luncheon in the Rotunda, where they're going to spend time talking about the day, exchanging gifts, giving gifts to the new president. And then there'll be a wreath laying at Arlington National Cemetery, an abbreviated inaugural parade before the Bidens enter the White House as the first family for the first time. I mentioned the fact that the congressional leadership of both the House and Senate are on the east. This is essentially a send off to the former Vice President. Mike Pence is standing alongside Kamala Harris, and they're going to walk out together on the east front of the Capitol. And Mike Pence is going to be bade, bode, uh, guess, given a farewell. And uh, then Pence is going to drive off in a motorcade, and he'll be taken to Joint Base Andrews for a final flight on a government plane. It won't be Air Force Two, because he's no longer the president. It'll be a special air mission. But this is a, a warm moment. Steve, describe it.
6: Yeah, the, uh, the outgoing vice president, Mike Pence, is, is holding hands with uh, the former uh, second lady, Karen Pence. And uh, now this new vice president, Kamala Harris, is holding hands, standing at the top of the steps to the, uh, to the right of the Pence's with her husband, Doug Emhoff, uh, watching this uh, and taking part in this final goodbye uh, to the only uh, top administration official from uh, the Trump White House to take part in this inauguration. And not only is he leaving the administration, but he's also leaving the Senate, where he was president of the Senate and, and had a role in the votes that are taking place over uh, over the last few years uh, as this, this handoff of power between these two leaders of the U.S. takes place, Stephen.
0: This is a symbol of the peaceful transfer of power. If President Trump wasn't here to perform it, well, Mike Pence is is doing it on behalf of the former president, the outgoing administration. uh, Mr. Pence continues chatting now with Ms. Harris and their spouses, uh, exchanging warm words. All of them, by the way, wearing masks. As they stand face to face on the east front steps of the U.S. Capitol, Uh, an honor guard representing all of the armed forces is standing also with their rifles uh, on on both sides of the steps as the uh, Pences now depart, walk down the stairs, Mike Pence holding his wife Karen's hand as they are prepared to get into an suv that is no longer adorned with the flag of the vice president that's the white flag with the president with the with the seal uh, it, it is now just a, a protected suv mike pence is a former vice president is not entitled to secret service protection he will return to indiana later today as a private citizen after that last flight on the special air mission from andrews air force base mike pence uh, has uh, seen to it that his wife is in the SUV, and now he's getting around on the other side with a nod and a final wave to the congressional leadership, which is there, along with the new vice president, Kamala Harris, to send him off into private life. Aides say the new president will spend his first afternoon in the Oval Office signing 17 orders, some of them aimed at reversing many of his predecessor's signature policies. Among them... Uh, There's Mr. Trump's emergency declaration to fund construction of the border wall, the travel restrictions that critics derided as a Muslim ban, the order blocking diversity training by federal agencies and contractors, we expect President Joe Biden to impose a moratorium on oil and gas leases in the Anwar Wildlife Refuge in Alaska. Uh, he's expected to today revoke the permit for the Keystone XL pipeline, re-enter the U.S. and the Paris Climate Accord. He's expected to institute a federal mask mandate requiring masks on federal property and in interstate travel as he kicks off the first of his 100-day masking challenge aimed at curbing the spread of the coronavirus. And he's also, among other measures, expected to extend the existing pause on student loan payments and interest on those student loans. All of that awaits the new president when he gets to the White House after a number of activities still to come, including a a wreath laying at Arlington National Cemetery and a brief parade just on a single block section of Pennsylvania Avenue, right around the corner from the White House. Our coverage of the 59th inaugural of the 46th president continues from CBS News.
3: CBS News special report, the inauguration of Joseph R. Biden
4: Jr. He is now President Joe Biden.
5: I will be a president for all Americans, all Americans. And I promise you, I will fight as hard for those who did not support me as for those who did.
3: The nation's new leader was given the oath of office by Chief Justice John
5: Roberts. In his inaugural speech, he said democracy has prevailed. We will be judged, you and I, by how we resolve these cascading crises of our era. We will rise to the occasion, is the question, will we master this rare and difficult hour? Will we meet our obligations and pass along a new and better world to our children.
4: And Kamala Harris has now become
15: the first woman and first person of color to become vice president. CBS News Special Report. I'm Steve Futterman.
3: CBS News Special Report. Here's correspondent Stephen Portnoy.
0: We are about an hour into the first uh, term of Joseph Biden Jr. as the 46th President of the United States, and the transfer of power occurs not just in the real world, but also in the digital world. The official White House Twitter account, uh, the White House website have all been transferred over to Joe Biden. Uh, who begins his presidency as the first in modern history not to have a single cabinet secretary confirmed to run the federal agencies. And there's yet to be a a, a firm commitment from the Senate on a date for those confirmations. And that includes the Secretary of State and the Treasury Secretary, key posts, as well as the Homeland Security Secretary, the Defense Secretary. The outgoing president, Donald Trump, in his final hour as Commander-in-Chief we are told, while the ceremony was underway in Washington, issued a pardon. His final pardon went to Albert Pirro Jr., who is the ex-husband of the Fox News host Janine Pirro. Now, Albert Pirro was convicted about 20 years ago of conspiracy and tax evasion, one of the pardons uh, that the president issued in his final hours in office as one of his final acts. Let's bring in CBS News legal analyst Janine Pirro. Be, oh, sorry, <laughs> my goodness. Let me see. let me say that again. <laughs> let me bring in CBS News legal analyst Lori Levinson, because, Lori, one of the things and I hope you'll forgive me for that. One of the things that we have to discuss is the fact that uh, the president's legal issues, uh, r- irrespective of what go on in the real world outside Washington, have to involve the fact that the Senate's about to conduct an impeachment trial while the Senate also has to conduct the business of confirming the, the new president's appointments uh do we know anything more about uh, how or when the senate impeachment trial might get underway
13: Well, that's right, Steve. The president has a big agenda, and he had inspiring words today, but now it's time for action. He can only do so much by executive orders, and then he's going to need Congress to work with him, both in confirming his appointments and passing legislation. Overshadowing all of this is the upcoming trial regarding uh, the impeachment of Donald Trump, and nobody knows quite yet what form that will be in, when it will occur and whether it'll be a distraction from Biden's first hundred days,
0: but it, it is for the most part uh, it, not. It's not. There's no consensus on the right, but it seems to be understood that a, a Senate trial can take place, even though Don Trump, Donald Trump is now no longer president.
13: It's never been done before, but there is some consensus that it would move forward, and then if Donald Trump wanted to challenge it in some way down the road, he might. But people are arguing as long as you have that provision to try to bar him from ever running for office again, you should be entitled to have the trial. He was impeached already. It's time for the senators to stand up and decide what they want to do.
0: All right. Lori Levinson, our CBS News legal analyst. Thank you very much. Let's turn to our CBS News White House contributor, correspondent emeritus Peter Mayer, because last hour, the new president gave an inaugural address that that focused entirely on unity. He didn't really get into the details of his policies.
9: Well, that's right. This was not a time for a laundry list of all of the initiatives that he plans. I think, uh, Stephen, this was the most challenging call to Americans uh, in an inaugural speech since John F. Kennedy's Ask Not What Your Country Can Do For You speech. Uh, And Mr. Biden said America has to do better than this. Here we stand just days after a riotous mob thought that they could stop the will of the people. It did not happen. Not today not tomorrow, not ever. And he said to, to all those who supported his campaign, he humbled. To those who did not, he said, hear me out as we move forward. Take a measure of my heart. It was, I think, one of the most highly personal inaugural speeches that, that I've ever heard, Stephen.
0: You covered, Peter, the uh, installation of Barack Obama and Joe Biden as president and vice president 12 years ago. They had an ambitious legislative agenda. So does this president. W- what are the prospects? What What do you think Joe Biden learned from that experience 12 years ago as to how to use the political capital he now has?
9: Well, not only then, but, of course, during his 36 years in the Senate, more importantly, look, he knows all the players. He knows Mitch McConnell. He knows Chuck Schumer. And he knows so many of the people who are in the Senate who were in there when he was a senator and of course, uh, when he was vice president, so you know it's going to be, I think, a, a, a tough lift on the uh, the huge economic plan that he uh, has introduced. But look, that's just the first thing on the table—the 1.9 trillion dollars. There's room to shave that here and there, and there's going to be a lot of deal cutting uh, as uh, the time unfolds. But uh, Joe Biden knows the challenges that are out there for him, and as his press secretary, Jen Psaki said this morning. He knows that uh, these changes, and especially the call for unity, is not going to happen overnight.
0: Leonard Steinhorn, as we often give you the last word, it's now yours. Uh, The prospect of uh, Joe Biden's legislative agenda in his first days in office.
8: Well, it's going to be ambitious, it's going to be difficult, but he's going to have to rally Americans behind a a program of recovery and resolve to get us beyond this moment in time, not just a moment of division, not just a moment of disunity, not just a moment in which we saw two weeks ago people storming the Capitol, but a moment in which hundreds of thousands of people have died, people are suffering, people have lost jobs businesses are closing, he has to be able to rally Americans behind the notion that we have to make recovery our first, our very first um, uh, thing on the agenda ahead. But part of that is uniting us behind that recovery. So his message of unity meshes with his uh, uh, program of recovery, because without unity, he will argue, we not cannot recover as a nation so he will drive rhetorically the message of unity and politically an agenda of getting beyond this covid moment that we're in and this economic difficulty that we're in and hopefully the two will come together and see a united america that's recovered under the administration of joe biden that is certainly what he hopes to accomplish in the first 10 100 200 days
0: one nation under God, indivisible, we say. And now the man who vowed to fight the battle for the soul of the nation will begin his quest to do just that. For Peter Mayer, Leonard Steinhorn, Steve Dorsey, and Allison Keyes, thank you for joining us in our coverage of the 46th President's Inauguration. I'm Stephen Portnoy, CBS News.
10: The Hargan women
11: seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom